I've got so much to share with you today. I really have something burning on my heart from the word I want to share. But I, I've got to tell you something else first, and that is what I'm going to call celebrate the win. Um, I'm trying to be and want to be better at doing that. So often we go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. And uh, do I have lipstick all over me? Thank you. Anyway, um, and, and it's, it's easy to keep going on to the next project or the next thing and, and somehow not properly stop and go, you know what, the Lord helped us. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us, and, and this happened. Well, it was back in um, early part of 2014 that a dear friend of mine, I'm going to need that water, sweetheart, I'm really dry today. A dear friend of mine, Mark Condon, a songwriter, thank you, uh, contacted me. I've worked with him, producing his music for, at that time, about 15 years, and uh, we're dear friends and we talk often and I knew that it was possible the Lord was calling him to, uh, to pastor a church. He began telling me the year before that he was feeling the call to pastor a church. He actually looked at a church in Florida and didn't sense the Lord was calling him there. And then they're from Columbus, Ohio and so he planted a church. Now I don't know how many of you all have been involved in a church plant but it's a difficult thing to do. It's plowing hard ground and it's a difficult thing to do. So in the process of all that, he, um, he came to me and, and asked, uh, he said, is there any way Bethesda could help us financially? And so I went to our highly qualified and wonderful missions uh, committee that we have. We have tremendous people on our missions committee, people with a heart for missions and for the, uh, spreading the gospel of Christ. And I said, is there any way we can help? And we gave a one-time gift uh, to help them get started. And then we went on and we supported them monthly for about two years, it might be slightly less than that, but about two years that we uh, gave them monthly support because of your giving to missions like you've done today. And so anyway, the, the, the shorter version of this is that then Mark contacted me um, sometime, I think, at the end of last year. So rare to hear this from someone who's planting a church or from a, and not that I, he wouldn't call himself a missionary, he's a pastor. But he called me and he says, Dan, look, Tell Bethesda they don't have to send the money, the monthly money anymore. The Lord is helping us and we're getting traction. So stop that money coming to us and send it on to somebody else. Now, the first thing I thought is what incredible integrity for a man to do that. Who calls you and tells you to stop the money from coming, right? And so we did that. And then um, I just want you to know, do we have that footage of... The, ch the church started August 17, 2014, and he's telling me today they have a regular attendance of about 220 people in the church, and this month they baptized seven people, and they are so thrilled. And church, this is a church in Columbus, Ohio that started from scratch. We were able to be a part of this, and he says it is a healthy church rising up from the ashes. So let's give the Lord the glory and celebrate this win today. The Lord allowed us to be a part of that. Wonderfully thriving church today. So thankful for my dear friend and what's taking place. That's terrific. Yeah, you can stop it. That's enough. I think we've seen it. All right. How many of you have heard the old adage, it is better to give than to receive? How many of you have heard that? My dad used to say, yeah, it's better to give than to receive, but receiving is good enough for me. You know, some people would say that. You know, sometimes... The receiving part can be awkward. Um, I gave a gift to a, a friend this week, and, and th they were almost awkward with it. You know, I don't deserve this. You shouldn't have done that, you know. And it can be that way. And then it's also awkward if you re receive a gift. How many of you have ever gotten like a birthday present or a Christmas present, and you open it and you go, oh, thank you. <laughs> and inside you're going, what is this? And you're not even sure if you would ever use it. Come on, how many of you have ever received like a, Christmas, a present like that at Christmas? or, Yeah. And so you're not sure you're ever going to use it and, 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 and what you're going to do with it. And typically, you know in your mind when you open it and you go, you know what? This is going to end up in our next garage sale. We know that for sure. Or the trash possibly. But I just, here's, here's what I want to say. I want to talk to you today for just a few minutes on spiritual gifts on spiritual gifts. And the wonderful thing about our Lord is this. You will never get a gift from Him that you've got to put in the garage sale. Amen? Because every gift of God has merit 
Every gift of God is powerful, and every gift of God is useful. Listen to this verse that you know so well from James, the first, chap first chapter. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Let me say the same thing in possibly just another way because I want to be sure we get all the meat off the bone of this verse here, okay? Every gift that God gives to us is both good and perfect. Say those two words. Good, right. Because that's the nature of the giving of God. God has never given anything that is less than good and perfect. And I want just a minute to kind of explore those two words for a second to really understand. And so I'm going to give you an English lesson this morning. I'm sorry to do it to you on Sunday morning, but a little English lesson. When you read the word good in your Bible here, you have to understand that it is a superlative. How many of you remember what a superlative is from your English class? Dr. Marty and two others. Wonderful. Okay. Let me remind you what a superlative is. Something can be hot... Something then can be hotter, but if you put enough jalapenos on it and Texas chili sauce, it's going to be hot, hotter, hottest. That means, that's the superlative. It means it can't get any, get any more hot than that. Well, Kenneth Wiest in his study of the Greek New Testament tells us this. That when that verse in James was penned, good is the superlative, which means this. When, while I'm teaching English here, when God gives a gift, it can't get any gooder than that. For he is the best gift giver, and no one can outgive God. Who can say that's been true in your life? Nobody can outgive God. So the other word that we're looking at, which is... Uh, somewhat self-explanatory, is we don't not only have the superlative good, but James says that God's gifts are also perfect. Now, when you dig around in that word, you find there's also another underlying word, which is part of that, which means useful. The Greek word is teleos. It's, it's not only perfect, useful is attached to the way that word is used. It's that moment when someone does give you a gift that you open it up and your eyes light up, and your face brightens, you go, oh, it's perfect. It's exactly what I needed. And what you're really saying is, this is something I'm going to use. I will be able to put this to good use. And so the gifts that God gives are good. They can't be any more good than what he gives, superlative, and they are perfect. With that in mind, I'm gonna, I want us to look at the very familiar 1 Corinthians 12, and I want us to read about these gifts that are good and perfect, and let's see what Paul says about them. 1 Corinthians 12, right from the first verse. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, <clears throat> I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept, across, swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Let's say that together, Jesus is Lord. Come on, say it. How many of you believe that's true today? You're right. So verse 4, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There's different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. Now, verse 7, a spiritual gift is given to some of us who have reached great spiritual maturity. A spiritual gift is given just to the people like Dr. Marty and Des and Mary Evans. How many, your Bible says something different? A spiritual gift is given to... Each of us, so that we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and another the ability to prophesy. 
He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which he alone decides which he alone decides which gift each person should have. Is that clear? It is clear to us this morning that it is his choice who gets what gift and not our personal preference. It's not what we want to have, dear one. It's what he wants us to have. Can I get a witness? Now, this list is just the beginning of a list. The, you, you know, the book of Romans adds to the list. And if you've been with us on Wednesday nights with Dr. Marty and, and some of us who've been involved there, you know that Ephesians 4 adds to the list as well. But regardless which of these lists you consider, let's just understand the basics before we go any further. These gifts are from the Lord. They are good, the best we can get, and they are perfect and useful. He knows which gift you need, when you will need it, and he knows exactly where you will be at the very time that you will need it. Now, I want us to understand something about the cost of these gifts. And to do that, let me point you to a transaction that took place in Ephesians chapter 4 where we get a glimpse as to the cost. Ephesians 4 tells us that between the crucifixion and the resurrection, though there are many people who feel like they know exactly what happened between the crucifixion, crucifixion and the resurrection. And we have a few things in Scripture that uh, tell us about Jesus speaking to the spirits in prison and so forth. But the truth is, I don't know exactly what happened between the crucifixion and the resurrection when Jesus was in the grave. And I don't really think anyone can speak to it definitively. But we do know this. That Revelation 1.18 says, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and had the keys of hell and death. Some of you will remember with me when Steve Green used to sing, He Holds the Keys. And though we've been held captive, at long last we are free because he holds the keys. The interesting thing about this, and I really like to look at it this way, because some people say that Jesus went down and got the keys to hell. It doesn't matter to me when he got them, but I love the fact that he does today hold the keys to hell and death, that Satan doesn't even have the keys to his own house. Okay, you're in charge of hell, but you don't get the keys. But Ephesians 4 says this in verse 8. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive after he had descend, descended into hell. And he gave gifts to men. Now, I may not know exactly what happened in those three days. But I know this. The price paid by the Lord Jesus was enormous for him to give us gifts that are both good and perfect. Do I have a grateful person in the house today? The cost was enormous for him to give us gifts that are good and perfect. These gifts that we as believers are, are, that we are afforded today, they cost Christ literally his very life, which is why, hear me, listen to me, which is why we dare not ever, ever, ever treat them as though they are a toy or insignificant. Hear me. I've known plenty of people in Pentecostal circles and charismatic circles who treated the gifts as though they were a toy to be played with. They are not a toy when you see how much they cost Christ and what he did. And particularly when you understand that the gift of God is for the work of God so that it can be done with the greatest effect for the kingdom of God. And God places within every one of us a gift so that we can carry on the work of Jesus himself. And I love how 1 Corinthians 12 goes on to give us this glorious picture that you and I are his hands and feet. That you and I are different parts of the body of Christ. 
So let me borrow a phrase from Dr. Tony Evans, who I so greatly admire. He said that what we are as the people of God today is this. We are the continuation of the incarnation. We are the continuation of the, or the coming of God to earth through Christ. That's the incarnation. We are the continuation of the incarnation, which means this, that you and I are the living representative of Jesus himself. If you're happy about it, say hallelujah. Some of you are his hands. Some of you are feet. Some of you are ears. That's the language that Paul uses. And he will empower us not just commission us or just send us out unprepared. The gifts that he has given us, he will empower us to be the very representative of Christ. And that is irrespective, hear me, if you're watching online this morning or wherever you are in this world, that's irrespective of whether you're in a Christian country, a Muslim country, a Buddhist country, Hindu, or whatever it is, Christ will empower you to do what he's called you to do. If you are the people of God, he has put a gift inside of you that can be greatly used of God anywhere you go. On Monday and Tuesday of this week, I was privileged to be a part of a, uh, a summit, a think tank, they call it, for the missions department of our fellowship. Twelve pastors from around the country were invited to participate in Chicago in discussion with Greg Mundus and Randy Hurst, who was with us last week and to talk about where the missions program is and how it needs to go from this point on and some of the challenges. I, oh my goodness, the stories I heard, the stories I heard of people and young people today who are literally laying their lives down with the gift God has placed inside of them for the cause of Christ is absolutely unbelievable. There was a pastor from, I would love to tell you where, but I don't want to endanger the family, from another state. Actually, there were no two of us were from the, 12 of us, no two of us from the same state. There was a pastor there from another state, precious man, oh my goodness, the minute he walked in the door, it was just delightful, Hispanic man, doing an incredible work where God has planted him. He and his wife, I don't know how many other children they have, but I heard the story, they have a young single daughter, she's somewhere in her maybe mid-twenties, single, by herself, she has just been commissioned and received her appointment, she's going alone to Baghdad to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you dads like me who have a daughter, how would you feel about your 20-something-year-old daughter sending her off alone to Baghdad? But here's what I'm telling you. God will empower that young lady. He will give her everything she has need of. And this is why, church, we should never, ever, ever stop praying for our missionaries as we will do in our prayer service tonight. And if you're bored with praying for missionaries, then you don't know what the cost is that they're paying for the sake of the gospel. So a part of our service tonight will be praying for our missions, our missionaries, and our missions uh, committee is going to lead us in that. But here's the beautiful part of when God anoints you and when he, when he equips you and when he empowers you to be used by him. You don't need a pulpit and you don't need a microphone to be used by God. You just need a willing heart to be what he's designed and called you to be according to the gift that he has placed within you. Everyone has a gift. Everyone. Say that with me. Well, Dan, I can't sing. You still have a gift. I can't preach. You still have a gift. Just to reinforce it, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Therefore, no matter what you may think of yourself today, no one here today is giftless. You may be clueless about what your gift is, but you are not giftless. Every one of us has a gift. And if you're not sure about yours, then go check out the list. Let me give you 1 Corinthians 12 that we've read this morning, or 1 Corinthians 14, or Romans 12, or Ephesians 4 that we've already referenced. These gifts are given on loan to us. They're on loan to us. They're not ours to hold as our possession. They're on loan to us so that we can be used to do what God wants us to do. But some people haven't figured that out yet. I know this from talking to plenty of people. They just haven't figured it out. They, I talk to people all the time that it doesn't take too long to figure out that their understanding of their Christianity goes something like this. The day came when they gave their heart to Christ. They responded to an altar appeal or someone led them to the Lord. And, and so now they have a God that they pray to. 
and the purpose of that is so that hopefully God will answer all their prayers so that they can have all that they want. And that is the sum and substance of their Christianity. And what a, uh, ease your words up, Dan, come on, back off. What a pathetically, what a pathetic understanding of Christianity. And that was the filtered version, okay? That's the sum and substance of their Christian experience. Guess what? If you're thinking that today, you've got it backwards. It's not about us getting God to do what we want Him to do for us. It's about God getting us to do what He wants us to do for Him and the glory of the name of Jesus. And He's placed gifts within you, within all of us, to accomplish His purpose. The gift of God is for the work of God. Guess what? No one of us can do it alone. And that's one of the reasons why we have the church. No one of us can do it alone. Well, I'll just sit home and watch it online. You can't do the work of God alone with just the gift that God has given you. And here's how I substantiate that to you today. If anyone was ever capable of doing ministry alone with no help, it would have been Jesus, right? But he trained 12 guys. For us to ever think that one guy can do it all or those on the platform can do it all, that thinking so totally flies in the face of that which Jesus established. No one guy can do it all, which is why he has given gifts to all of us to accomplish the full measure of the work of God. When I became the senior pastor of this church, uh, in a few months it will be six years, I told the leadership at that time, I may have said it to the church, I know I told it to the leadership of the church, I said this, let's get one thing straight. If I'm going to be the pastor of the church, let's get one thing straight. I am not Des Evans. I don't have his gifts. Furthermore, Becky is not Mary Evans. She doesn't have her gifts. And if you're going, I said to the leadership, if you're going to hold us up to the standard of their gifts, then we will fail most miserably on day one. And that's the truth. Thankfully, we as a fellowship are so immeasurably blessed to still have Des and Mary around and enjoy the benefit and blessing of their gifts. Bless the Lord for that. Not only did I have to say this to the leadership, I, I need to lay it out there and be clear about it. Becky and I had to be settled that in our own mind. Can you, would you like the job of following Des Evans as a pastor of this church? No one in the right mind? Well. <laughs> but we are who we are with whatever gifts God has placed within us according to His grace. And guess what? It's all for the glory of the matchless name of Jesus. Now the worst thing that can happen is to put somebody who doesn't have the gift into a situation for which they are not gifted. Hello. Come on, how many of you, like me, have ever used an object for a hammer that wasn't a hammer? You just start banging away. I've used a shoe. Hello? I've used anything I could get my hands on to try to hammer away at something. And then, you know, to try to open a can. I'm not even going to tell you what I've used to open a can. It's none of your business. <laughs> what I've used to open a can. And bottles. You ever use your teeth to open? Now, that's smart. To open a bottle. And nothing is worse than to try to do a job for which you don't have the proper equipment or the gift to do it. In all this, all this music you hear around here, trust me, you want Brent and Gerard and Jovan to sing it. You don't want me to sing it. I would hurt myself if I tried to sing like Gerard, okay? I mean, he rears back and holds those notes from now till November, you know? And I, nobody could do that like he. I'm not equipped. I don't have their gifts. I'm not equipped to sing it like they Like I said, I don't have that. But the gifting they have and the gifting that you have comes from God and God alone. 
And guess what? He can use any venue and gift you in any circumstance to be used by him. How about Joseph? Who feels like he has a gift to interpret dreams. He didn't have a stage. He didn't have a church. He didn't have a band. He didn't have a microphone. He didn't have a choir. He didn't have a business card. He didn't have a nice suit and tie. He didn't have a Twitter account. Hello. No one reading his blog. He's in jail. He has an orange jumpsuit on. He's convict number 639274. And two, not really. And two guys in jail come to him and they say, we've had a dream. Now there's no audience there applauding Joseph for his gift. And the gift that was in him came out in a prison cell. Really? They don't know about Joseph in Pharaoh's house. And that's why wherever God puts you, you may not feel it. Hello? Well, Dan, I, I need a Hammond organ playing for my anointing to come. I need the singers to be singing. Can you get the choir? Can you crank the choir up? I mean, you know, people used to think I kept them in my back pocket or something. Just get the choir to sing something. So that, you know, I can feel it. I hear people all the time, don't I need to be experienced? Don't I need like goosebumps to be used by God? No. No. You just need to step out and be used by God. So when they came to Joseph about a dream, he could have said, don't talk to me about dreams. A dream is why I'm in here. He could have said that. I had a dream and then my brothers threw me a pit in the pit and put me in jail. And some of us, come on, let's be honest, some of us would have responded like that. But rather, Joseph ministers with the gift that God placed inside of him. And guess what? You can be used of God in your own household. Hello? You can be used of God on your school campus. You can be used of God in your place of work, anywhere he places you. There's a story of, the, of a great British evangelist, Gypsy Smith, who conducted incredible evangelistic campaigns in the United States and in Great Britain for, as I understand, over 70 years. And he said, Gypsy Smith said, a woman came to him after one of his crusades and she said to him, Pastor Smith, um, I believe the Lord wants me to preach the gospel and but I, I have a problem. The problem is that I have 12 children to raise. What shall I do? And Gypsy Smith responded to her like this. He says, my dear lady, I am so glad that you got saved. My dear lady, I'm even happier to hear that you feel you are called to preach. But I can't be more, than, more delighted than I am to hear that God has already given you your congregation of 12 souls. So start giving altar calls and get them converted to Jesus. That's what he told her. It is God who puts you in the place where you are now to be used with the very gift that he has put inside of you. And he's given every one of us a gift, which is at its best when you put it back in God's hand. Did you hear me? Your gift is at its best when you give it back to God. How many people have I worked with and you worked with over the years that they got a gift? I am now Apostle Dan. I am now Prophet Josh. I am now what, and they have held on to it as if they own it. But let me tell you something. Your gift is at its best when you give it back to God and put it back in His hands. Because they are God's gifts. And he's given them to you to expand the name of Jesus all over this planet. When he gives the gift, here's what we do. We respond by giving it right back, saying, God, here it is. Use it. Use it for your glory. The last thing he would ever want you to have is talent without submission. God can't use talent without submission. You did want me to tell you the truth today, right? God can't use talent without submission. Put that gift right back in God's hands because when you submit your gift back to God, that's when stuff, that's when the good stuff starts to happen. A violin in my hand will get you a squeaky noise. But you put it in the hands of Itzhak Perlman and you have beautiful music. Marble in my hand will get you an ugly piece of stone. But you put it in Michelangelo's hand and you'll have a priceless structure. A peanut in my hand is just a little snack. But a peanut in the hand of George Washington Carver will get you peanut butter, shoe polish, and 300 other things because it all depends on whose hand it's in. 
a basketball in my hand is worth about $29. But a basketball in the hand of Kevin Durant or Kobe or LeBron is worth about $30 million. Because it all depends on whose hand it's in. A golf club in my hand will cause trouble for every window within the vicinity. But a golf club in the hand of Bubba Watson, Phil Mickelson, or Tiger Wood, and here comes the next Masters uh, Championship. It's on its way because it all depends on whose hand it's in. A rod in my hand may be just a stick to beat off a dog in the neighborhood, but a rod in the hand of Moses will part the Red Sea. A slingshot in my hand is just a toy to shoot something with. But a slingshot in the hand of David is a weapon to drop Goliath to the ground. Spitting clay in my hand may get you a little mud cake. But spitting clay in the hand of Jesus will open blind eyes. Are you hearing me today? Two fishes and... And five loaves in my hand is just a little fish snack from McDonald's. But put fishes and loaves in the hand of Jesus and 5,000 people get a meal. Give me a hammer and put a nail in my hand and you might get a little birdhouse. But put nails in the hands of Jesus. Put a cross there, a hill called Calvary, and you get salvation. You get eternal life and you get deliverance. It's all a matter of whose hand it's in. Whatever he has put in your hand, you give it right back to him. The worst thing that can happen, worst thing that can happen is for you to have a talent with no submission. Here it is, Jesus. Here it is. It's all yours. Take it. Use it for your glory. I put it back in your hands. I didn't deserve it to start with. It's yours. My next point, I've lost track of how many there have been. Are you still with me? Gifts need fruit. Gifts need fruit. We learn from John chapter 15 from Jesus that we are to produce fruit, more fruit, much fruit, and fruit that will remain. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit, and fruit that will remain. But let me ask you something. This is not a trick question. What number comes between 12 and 14. It's not a trick question. Oh man, you're sharp today. Have you ever thought about this? Chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is about the gifts. Chapter 14 from 1 Corinthians is about the gifts. But sandwiched right in the middle of that is 1 Corinthians 13, which we call the love. I think we're being told that you can have all the gifts you want, but if you don't have love, that gift doesn't matter at all. It means nothing. Let me tell you something. I can talk about the church and what happens in the church. You can talk about your area where you function. It is so easy to promote gifts over character. It's easy to do that. It's easy to promote talent. Trust me, I know what I'm talking about. Just because someone can do something, we quickly say, oh, you're the man, you're the woman, you're just the right person, and never look at their character, never look at it. Someone may be able to sing, may be able to speak, they may be able to teach, they may be able to counsel, or whatever, but if in the middle of that is not the fruit of the Spirit, it's worth nothing, church. Jesus, the Lord Jesus himself even warns about this, basically saying this, you can fake gifts, but you can't fake fruit. You can fake gifts, but you cannot fake fruit. How do I know that? I base it on Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, where he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy gifts? In your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I just read to you from Matthew 7, verses 21, 22, and 23. But you cannot read that, and I did this intentionally, 
without including the verse that comes just before that, which would be verse 20, which says this. So then, you will know them by their fruit. So it's very clear. Don't judge people by their gifting. It's so easy to do that. We look upon the surface. We look at their gifting. Man, they got it together. No, 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 no. Rather, we should become fruit inspectors than judging their gift. We seem to have forgotten that it's the fruit that keeps the gift stable. It's the fruit that keeps the gift stable. It's the fruit that allows the gift to be used effectively. It's the fruit that substantiates the gift. If you want to know what the fruit is, then go to Galatians chapter 5. Again, this has been taught in the Wednesday night live service as well. Love, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. But we have a tendency to want to go through the buffet line like we do at Luby's and just pick out and choose the fruit that we like. I'll take some love. Yep, 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 yep. I'll take some love. I'll take, um, I'll take some of that gentleness. Yeah, but don't ask me to be kind or good. No, I'm not having nothing to do with the kind or good. I'll take these. No, no. Paul tells us that all the fruit of the Spirit need to be evidenced in our lives in their growing fashion. You don't just look at someone and say, oh, you've got a gift. You also have to look for the fruit. That's the middle part, 1 Corinthians 13. Never forget, gifts might get you a position, but it is character that keeps you in that position. Hello? So I want to say something to the person who I'm sure is sitting here this morning saying this. Dan, can God use me? <laughs> well, we've made it clear from Scripture, you have a gift, no one is giftless. And you also have a gift, even if you think you are damaged goods. And there are plenty of people in this room today who think they are damaged goods. Well, I want to be very practical with you. If you'll just be patient with me, I'm going to try to wrap this up in the next couple of hours, I promise, okay? I want to be very practical with you. It's extremely practical to help you discover what your gift may be. Most of you know my story. Born and raised in a pastor's home. Had a bit of a musical gift that emerged early in life. Started singing and playing the piano. But for me, singing and playing the piano, it was always about leading others. I, literally, from the beginning, it was never, don't, you know, Dan, would you play piano solo? No, I don't do that. You know, would you sing it? Sing, no, I don't sing. It's, I, though they were gifts that I was clear somehow and perfectly happy with it from the beginning. The, the musical gifts God gave me were about leading others. Well, back in those days, churches were smaller and the pastor's family did everything from teaching Sunday school to leading the youth group to conducting the choir to cleaning the toilets to mowing the lawn to my mom did all the secretarial work. We just, you know, we gave our lives. That's just, we all did it. And I was raised by a pastor father who strongly believed in the principle that you should be instant in season and out of season. Was anybody else raised by that principle? Then you know what I'm talking about. Whatever you were called upon to do, you did it. You, you didn't even question it. And certainly your feelings about it didn't, didn't matter one bit. It's just, it's just what we did. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. In that variety of expressions, it gave great opportunity to discover what gifts were there and what gifts were not there because there was so much opportunity to explore, to see. Parents, allow your children to explore their gifts. That means if football doesn't work for them, let them try soccer. If they hate the clarinet, let them try a trumpet. And it's all good. It's all good. You may go through 40 or 50 things to let them explore what happened. I was given the privilege of exploring to see where the gift was. I want to just take two minutes to tell you a personal story that I hope you find interesting. Maybe I won't put you to sleep. My band days, I start off on the trumpet. I still remember all the fingering, my embouchure, the, this mechanism, the, the muscle here. I couldn't even pick up a trumpet and do anything. I, I just remember the valve fingering. I remember all that. That was my, sort of my primary instrument. It happened like this. I would be sitting in the band hall in rehearsal, and what would get my attention is I would look over and I would see the trombones. Oh, that's interesting. That's kind of cool. You slide those things in and out, you know, like that. 
And then I would look down in the, toward the front, and I would see flutes and clarinets. And it all captivated my attention. I tried to do as good as I could with the trumpet, and I did fine. But I was interested. I would look around the room. I saw the whole picture, and I was interested in what every instrument was doing. And so in those days, it may still be in the public schools, that the, the uh, school owned in certain instruments. And so I would go to the band director and say, could I check out that meaning, literally sign out and check, take that instrument home, like a clarinet or an oboe or flute or whatever, and could I just take that home? I did this on my own. I had no idea why I did it. I just was interested. And then I would go to the music store and I would buy the Bellwin band book and I would figure out what the fingering is and how to make this thing make some music. And so I literally gained a working knowledge of all the instruments just because I was, I didn't get good at any of them. I mean, I could barely play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star on any of them. But I understood how they basically functioned. Little did I know that the day was going to come when God was going to call me to be an arranger orchestrator and take all of that information that I learned over those years and put it into something that he was going to use for us to create music that goes literally around the world. I had no idea that that was going to happen like that. God orchestrated that. Forgive me for using that term. God orchestrated that and caused all that to happen. Well, fast forward several decades. My band days prepared me to orchestrate. Because I just brought what I had. That's all I had to work with. Then the day comes about six years ago when this church in Fort Worth asked me to be the senior pastor of the church. I hadn't regularly, I hadn't, I'd spoken at music conferences, I hadn't preached anywhere, I didn't know how, and following Des, are you kidding me? So I'd sit down, I thought, well, I'm going to do the best that I can, and do what I can, and I'm about a year into it, a couple of you have heard this story, I'm about a year into it, and I began to realize, you know, back when I was orchestrating, I would, you know, I, I, I looked at the, the overall architectural structure of the song, I could take it apart, here's the introduction, here's a verse, here's a chorus, here's a bridge, here's a key change, here's a big finish, it's going somewhere, it's shaping, and I, I understood between that way I could dissect anything I heard on the radio in, in that form, in that manner, and begin to see it in that, in that form, in, in its architectural structure, if I can use that language for you. I'm about a year into pastoring the church, and I'm writing a sermon one day. And I'm getting stuff together, and all of a sudden, it dawned on me, I'm using my orchestrating skills to craft the sermon, because it's all I've got. I'm bringing what I have, the only thing God placed within me. Here's an introduction. Here's a verse. We're laying the foundation of what we're trying to say. Here's a bit of a payoff. Maybe there's a story, whatever, that's happening like this. And I began to see it that way. So... My children allow, uh, parents allow your children to explore. My band days prepare me to orchestrate. My orchestrating days prepare me to preach. And it's all because we simply put the gift back in God's hands. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Therefore, if you're still in the process of discovering what your gift is, let me give you this very practical way to find out. And it's very, 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 very simple. You ready for this? Are you listening? Say yes as often as you can. Say yes as often as you can. What you are currently doing may not match what you think you're called to do, but that's okay. You may even have a strong disdain for that which you're doing right now. But as long as you are willing to say yes, God can develop in you what he needs to develop, and it might well lead to the very thing he's ultimately taking you to do. Because you said yes. Dan, would you like to take the flute home? Yes. Would you want to take the French horn home? Yes. How about the, yes. I kept saying yes. Can I just tell you that in my whole 35 years of a music career, I kept saying yes to one thing that led to another, that led to a, a publisher, that led to this, and the opportunity came, and it's lasted for 35, 35 years. I just kept saying yes. And so when Becky comes to you and says, hey, I need you to help with the, men, the women's ministry, here's what you do. You say, you know what, um, um, yes. When Pastor Michael says to you, you know, we need ushers and greeters, your answer is Yes, I can do that. Or he might say, our, our home groups are full and running over, and we need more of you to open your home and be a facilitator. You go, uh, 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 uh. Yes, I can do that. And Pastor Brenda comes to you and she goes, we need help in the nursery. Okay, hold on. That's too far. You've gone too far. Here's my point. We tend to think that if I say yes to something that is so far from what I'm called to do, that surely I shouldn't be saying yes to that. 
You know, I feel like I'm supposed to pastor a church. I, I feel like I'm supposed to make a, a CD so the world can hear me sing. Why do you want to put me in the nursery for? That's not going to get me where I need to go. How would you train someone to preach the second longest sermon in the Bible? Today, we would send him or her to seminary to study homiletics and hermeneutics. We'd show them how to write an introduction. We'd show them how to get their three points. In whatever form or fashion that was going to be, we'd show them to find a nice poem to end with at the end. And we would talk to them about communication skills and how to capture an audience and keep their attention. We might talk to them about proper microphone technique and all of that stuff. And then when they had all that down, then we'd be ready to put them up to preach the second longest sermon in the Bible. But here's the truth. God's school and God's curriculum is so different than our idea of training. So in order to train Stephen to be ready to preach the second longest sermon in the Bible in Acts chapter 6, the first time we see Stephen is when the leaders say, okay, um, we need seven men. Um, where's the, uh, we, you need to be full of faith. You need to have a good reputation, and you need to be full of the Spirit, and uh, that's who we need. Do we have any volunteers for that? Because here's what we're going to do, and it's as if God is saying, Stephen, this is going to prepare you to preach the second longest sermon in the next chapter. And so what we need you seven guys to do is to work the soup kitchen. You can almost hear them saying, soup kitchen? Well, no, I'm called to preach. Give me a microphone. Ha! Seriously? You, you want me to serve food to angry, upset, cranky widows? I don't think so. Uh-uh. I'm a man of God. And God says, before we put a microphone in your hand, we're going to teach you how to serve tables. I'm going to teach you how to deal with people who cannot promote you or pay you back. Because it's easy to serve people who can promote you or give back to you. God says, if I can get you to serve widows, then I can trust you with a microphone in your hand to preach the second longest sermon in the Bible. Listen to me. I'm really trying to wrap this up quickly. You may be in a position right now and feel so far from what you're called to do. And you may be closer to your calling than you ever thought was possible. Here he is serving tables, dishing up chicken and rice. Mashed potatoes, carrots, green beans. And he has no idea that God is about to hand him a microphone. Don't you ever think that because you say yes and it doesn't match what you think you're supposed to do, that you are out of God's will. Say yes as often as you can. You can be pr dressed in prison clothes and be one chapter away from what God wants you to be. Some of you may be asking, can God use me? Some of you might be saying, Dan, <laughs> come on, God could never use me <laughs> because you really see yourself as damaged goods. And few, if any, know what you've really done to blow it. You've learned how to cover it up really well. You've managed it really, really well. But you've convinced yourself that God could never find any useful place in his kingdom for you. You're exactly who I'm talking about. Don't you dare leave until I'm done. You see the possibilities for others, but not for you. Are there any Star Wars fans in the room this morning? Okay. Who's seen all the films? Okay. We'll be praying for you at 6 o'clock tonight in the prayer service. <laughs> Brent Allen, come on, I need you up here. When I get his attention, I want to get his attention, I say, Brent Allen, he comes up here. I have to admit that I've seen almost none of them. But I am aware of the phenomenon that swept not only our country but the world with these movies. Here's what I've learned. They say that after the huge success of the first film where thousands were standing in line to see it. But when George Lucas was about to start the filming of the second one, what was the second one? Thank you. Empire Strikes Back. And Mark Hamill, who was Luke Skywalker, he was in a motorcycle accident in real life that disfigured his face. And they were starting to look for someone. I'm talking to you who think you're disfigured. They were starting to look for someone else to play the part because the face in the first film was not going to match the face in the second film. It's because he's had this accident. George Lucas became convinced that 
it would have to recast the role of Luke Skywalker because Mark Hamill just didn't look the same as he did. And all of a sudden, George Lucas had a stroke of genius. He said, wait a minute. I'm the writer of this thing. I can write anything into the script that I want to write and fix the whole problem. So he put the first scene of the second film on this ice planet where this demonic-looking snowman comes and scratches the face of Luke Skywalker, and the rest of the movie, the audience fully accepts it, not as a result of the motorcycle accident, but the result of an encounter with the fictional snowman. You know what George Lucas figured out? If I'm the author, then I can write this script any way that I want to. So let me just say, church, listen to me, listen to me. He's not only the author, he is the finisher of your story, and your story, and your story. And what you thought was the end of the story, sweetie, it's simply the end of the chapter. And there is another chapter coming where everything is about to change. You may think God cannot use you, but let me just say it loud and clear. Jesus is the restorer, and he can fix your messed up story. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet with me, please. Come on, let's give a shout of praise in this house this morning for our restorer. Come on, church. If you're here today, and you're saying in your heart right now, Pastor Dan, I want to be used of God, but I don't even know how he could use me, and I certainly don't know why he would use me. I would say this, you leave that up to God. He takes murderers and has them write the New Testament. He takes rebellious people and makes them prophets. He seems to have a penchant for the most unlikely. And we have a few unlikelies in the room today, and I'm the first one. The hows and the whys are up to God, not to you. So my question to you today in this altar call is this. Who in this room is ready to say, God, I'm giving myself completely to you to be used by you? Whether you feel like damaged goods or whether you feel like you've got absolutely nothing to offer. But I have to believe, and I have believed in my heart all week as I prepared this. Someone in their heart today, their, your heart will be ignited to say, God, here I am. Use me. Here's what I want you to do. As Pastor Brent leads us in song, I want you to step out from wherever you are and let these folks anoint you and pray with you. It doesn't have to be long. They're simply, you're simply going to say, I want to be used by God. I want to respond today to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. If you're in the balcony, begin right now to make your way down. If you're in the lower floor, come now as we sing. Sing, Pastor Brent.